Hi, guys. You doing well? Good. Thanks for coming to my birthday party. Really appreciate that. I had the little pointy hats for everybody, but then I got talked out of that. So, um, you know, as you get older, you, you just, there are certain things you start to lose, you know, certain things start to go in the wrong direction and your mind isn't what it used to be and your body's not what it used to be and all that kind of stuff. Um, but let me tell you something, no matter how old you get, you don't stop learning. Don't stop learning. Uh, I learned something new today. Last night, um, you know, I was just praying at, at bedtime, thanking God for just, you know, um, blessing me and all the things going on in my life and, and all that. And as I hit this birthday, then I'm thanking him for watching over me and all that kind of stuff. But I was saying, Lord, you know, if I could ask for something on my birthday, just help me to feel more like a teenager again. That would just be great. And I woke up this morning, had a giant zit on my chin. So... I did. I seriously did. I'm like, my gosh, when was the last time that happened? So, so here's what I learned. When praying, be specific. Okay? That's your lesson for today. Hey, back in those days when I actually was young, back, uh, I was 18, 19 years old, um, my life sort of revolved around youth ministry. I was working with high school students, and um, we put together this uh, trip to Knott's Berry Farm for our youth group. And it was great. I don't know if they still do it, but back in the day, Knott's Berry Farm would have these Christian music nights. They would have bands come, Christian bands. And so we were going to do this. And we got about 30 or 40 kids ready to go. And we're caravanning to do that. We met up in Anaheim. We had to drive to Buena Park. So we had about seven or eight cars, you know, that were going to caravan and go to this. And I was driving the lead car. I had five or six kids in my car. And then there's five or six cars behind me. And so we take off and we start heading to get on the five freeway. And, and just without thinking about it, all of a sudden I see a street that is, it just runs right along the five. And I'm like, that is the perfect shortcut. So I turn onto that street to take the shortcut. All of the cars follow me. And I was two, 300 yards into that part of the road when I realized this is a one-way street. <laughs> now I was only going one way but I was going the wrong way. And, and I kept wondering, why are these headlights coming at us and everybody's honking and, and waving and stuff like that? And, and I look at my rearview mirror and every car in our group has followed me. It was like a video game. We're just like dodging, going in and out. And it would have been the most spectacular chase scene you've ever seen in a movie. We're driving against traffic the whole way. And when, then when we finally come to the major road there, you, you can only go against traffic onto that road and there's a center divider in the middle. So we had to all merge against traffic onto this major street and then make a U-turn and get on the right side of the street and all of us made it untouched. Now, yes, that means I, I should be better at video games than I am. But, but we all made it untouched. We pulled over into this grocery store parking lot so we could get out of the cars and everyone could yell at me. And so we get out and everybody jumps out of their cars and they are yelling at me and they're like, what is wrong with you? How could you do this? You, you put us all in danger. We almost killed these kids and all that kind of stuff. How many times have you thought t about teenagers? Man, I'd love to just kill all these kids, right? <laughs> I almost got that to happen. And... 
and everybody's screaming at me, and I go, hey, what idiot made that a one-way street? That is the stupidest idea I've ever, that was the perfect shortcut to get to the five freeway. Why did this moron design it as a one-way street? So everybody thought I was the moron, but I knew it was the idiot who designed the system. That guy was a moron and he almost got us all absolutely killed. It is interesting how often we think that way about stuff in life. That, that, that we go, oh yeah, you know, the person who thought this up must have been a fool. The guy who designed this must have been stupid. And you know, one of the things we're going to have to grapple with as we launch into this series is there's actually a creator and designer who designed our lives and he's not an idiot. He knows what he's doing. And so Every time there's something that sort of, you know, rumbles in me that says, wait a second, how could God ask me to do this? How could God expect me to go here? How could God want this for my life when it's so uncomfortable for me? I got to stop and remember that before I start looking up and thinking what an idiot he is, that he actually knows that he is the great and wise father and I am the young, growing, learning son. And he designed things. So we've been talking about that, and we're, we're launching into this series called This is Awkward, where we are going to talk very directly about these issues of money, sex, and politics that never get talked about, it seems like, in the church. And we're going to grapple with some issues, but I feel like it's absolutely essential that we lay foundation in these big principles before we dive into the details, because we already know what people's opinions are. On these topics. We have already seen sets of rules, do this and don't do that, right? And we still struggle with all of this. And so it's not going to be enough for me to somehow be some kind of wise old owl that says, okay, if you'll bring me your budget, I'll help you get it all lined up and you should be this percentage here and this percentage there. Or to, or to tell you, listen, that, that whole romantic relationship that you're in, that you've been messing up all the way, here's what you do. Do these four things and you'll be able to fix it. That's not how it's going to work. We're going to have to get grounded in some principles that are profound and that affect every aspect of our lives, and then we're going to apply those principles into the details of life. Does that make sense? So the first one we dealt with last week was design. If you missed that, we were in Genesis 1 and 2 last week. Go back and listen uh, to the podcast, and, and uh, you can hear that. Today, we're going to get into, out of these three big principles, design, stewardship, and worship. And today we're going to get into stewardship and worship, and we're going to try to kind of see how all this fits together so that next week we can launch into some of the more detailed stuff. So let me begin uh, by giving you a story. Now, here's what you're going to write in your notes. Write this in your notes. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. That's your homework assignment. You don't have to turn there right now. In fact, don't turn there. It'll just confuse you. But if you go home this week, I want you to read Matthew chapter 25, um, verses uh, 14 through 30. And, but rather than read you that story, which is a story that Jesus told, I'm going to tell you an updated version of that story that fits in a little bit better with like, uh, the details of the way we're living our lives today. Once upon a time, there was a man. He was very, very wealthy. 
He was a self-made businessman, started out with not much, built it up. He now owned a giant company that, that owned several other smaller companies. He was a billionaire. <clears throat> His name was in Fortune 500. There were articles about him in the New York Times and Washington Post and all of that. Um, he was very, very well known in the business world, and he was a genius at running companies. And uh, he had a few openings in a couple of his companies at the top level to be president or CEO or vice president of various areas. And he was looking for some people for that, and he wanted to bring them up from within. So what he did was he picked three of his promising guys, and he brought them together, and he said, here's the deal. Today is the first of the month. You do not have to report to work anymore this month. You get the entire month. You don't have to be here. I'm going to have somebody else do your job. But here's what you are going to do. I want each of you to go out there and find a way to make me profit. And, and so I'm going to give you the resources you need to start a business. You can start any kind of business you want. You start the business at the end of a month. You come back to me and report on how the business did and whether you made me any money. And he handed them each a briefcase and dismissed them. And the first one got home and he opened the briefcase and inside in crisp, sharp $100 bills, there was $5,000 in cash. So you get to take this $5,000 and you can use it any way you want in order to make me profit. The second one got home, opened his briefcase, there was $2,000 in cash. Same note, you can use this money any way you want to make me a profit. And the third one got home, opened it up, and there was $1,000 in cash. Same note, use this money any way you want to make me a profit. And they all started brainstorming, and they all started thinking, what can I do, what can I do, how am I going to win this promotion? And so they, the first guy decided, I've been noticing how frustrating it is every day when I, when I come down from the 35th floor of my office building and I only have maybe 30 to 40 minutes for lunch and I have to walk halfway across town in traffic to get something to eat and get back. I never have time to get something to eat. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a hot dog stand and I'm going to set it up right outside of the office building and I'm going to sell hot dogs and see if I can't make some money selling hot dogs to hungry businessmen. And so he went and he bought the card. He learned how to, what are the best kind of hot dogs? What are the best kind of buns? What are the best kind of condiments? He set it up and he was there every day from 11 to 2 whenever anybody might come for lunch. And then he came back at 4 and from 4 to 7 he was there when people were getting off work. And he thought, I'm just going to sell hungry people hot dogs. And that was his plan. The second guy did some research. He said, what, what am I going to do? How can I do this? What what need is not being met out there? And as he was driving and thinking about this, it was raining, and he looks outside, and it's a business district. And all of the women have umbrellas that they carry in their purse, and they're staying dry, and all the men are running with their briefcase over their head. And he thought, you know, we need umbrellas that men can carry. And so he designed an umbrella that was not those little small fold-up ones that fit into a purse. They were actually a little bigger, and they're exactly the width of a standard briefcase. And he thought, if these guys could carry umbrellas in their briefcase, maybe they'll buy an umbrella. And just to make it more interesting to men, he put the logos of the city's team on the umbrellas. And he thought, I'm going to just set up a stand outside of office buildings and I'm going to sell umbrellas because online it says that it's going to rain 22 of the next 30 days. All right, that's what he did. The third guy thought and thought, and he said, you know what? <clears throat> this guy says he wants to promote us, but I think he's looking for somebody to fire. 
And, and I know that if I screw this up, there's no way he's not going to fire me. I've seen this guy fire people before for little mistakes. And if, if, if that's what's going to happen, I'm just going to make sure that doesn't happen to me. So he took the money, he wrapped it up in a bag, taped it up carefully, and he went and dug a hole in his backyard, put the money in the hole, filled up the hole, put a potted plant on top of the, of the hole, and left it there, and then sat on his couch for a month. He got caught up on all his Netflix shows. He, he, he ordered pizza every day. He played video games. Like he went for walks. He just had a month of vacation. And at the end of the month, they all had to come back with their briefcase. And they all came back with their briefcases. And the first guy opened it up and he told the story of his hot dog stand. And he said, you know, it was a $5,000 investment. It was tough to take that kind of a chance. But I actually doubled the money. Here's your $10,000. And to the second guy, he opened it up and he said, it was the same thing for me, but I did some research and I really felt like this was a winning opportunity and I turned 2000 into 4000 Here's your $4,000. And the guy said, this is amazing. You are going to be promoted to chief executive officer of one of my smaller companies and you are going to be promoted to the vice president of marketing for the entire corporation. How about you? The third guy opened it up. He said, listen, I knew that with only $1,000, I probably couldn't do much. And the certainly, I didn't want to lose anything of your money because I, I knew that if I lost your money, it would probably cost me my job. And so here's what I have. It's exactly $1,000, the same bills that you gave me. And he gave him back his $1,000. And the man fired him. That's the story. That's all. <laughs> now, you know that story as the parable of the talents, right? Five talents, two talents, one talent. But, but when we think about it in our current time and we go, wow, you know, th there was some industriousness. There was some responsibility that the winning guys took and the losing guy, what was his problem? I mean, after all, he did give back the thousand bucks. It's not like he went out and blew it and lost it on something. He gave back the thousand bucks. And I don't think that he got fired because he didn't make a profit. I think he got fired because he told the guy what his motive was. He said, listen, I was watching out for myself. I didn't want to take a chance on getting fired, and I was afraid you would fire me. And if I get fired, then I'm in deep trouble. And, and so I decided to just play it safe and not get fired. And of course, the result was that he got fired, right? Why? Because that wasn't his thousand bucks. He didn't own it. He was a steward of that money. And he didn't take his stewardship seriously. He wasn't fired because of the financial issue. In fact, my guess is that Jesus could have told that story and the ending could have been different. That Jesus could have gone to the third guy and he would have said, listen, I came up with this great plan and I did some research and I got some people to help me and I tried my best. And you know what? Things in the market just went against me and I come back and I only have 600 bucks to the original thousand. I think that guy still would have got a promotion. But it was because he did it for his own purposes. He had this idea that somehow it was about him. But it was never supposed to have been about him. It was always supposed to have been about the boss, right? And that is this huge principle that we have got to get straight. It's called the principle of stewardship. You and I are not owners of anything. We're stewards of everything. 
We don't own our own lives. We don't own our own bodies. We don't own our bank accounts, our houses, our cars. I know your name is on the title. That's not the point. It all belongs to God. And until we understand that our job is to do what is in God's best interest with everything he's given us, then it doesn't matter how many rules I give you about what to do with money, politics, and sex. You're not going to follow them anyway because you're going to do what feels best to you, what serves you the best in the moment, what you want to do, because that's what we all do unless we're living as stewards. And we have to have this huge principle in place or we're going to miss it. We have to remember that we are in a relationship to this amazing God we were talking about last week. The one we were singing to this morning. The one who has no rival. The one who has no equal. The one uh, for whom every knee bows and every tongue confesses. This amazing God, he's the master. I'm the steward. I am not my own, says 1 Corinthians 6, but I have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. I didn't create myself. I didn't give myself life. I don't provide for myself, even though I get to thinking that I do. I don't provide for myself. I don't sustain myself. I did not pay the price. I could not pay the price for my own sin. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. My life becomes defined not by who I am, what I think, what I feel, what I want, but by who He is and what He wants. You know, in the great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking about how easy it is for us to become anxious when we're afraid we're not going to have something that we need or want. Even something as important as food or lodging or clothing or something like that. He says, listen, stop worrying about that because God's going to provide for you. And as he wraps up this whole section of scripture in chapter 6, verse 33 of Matthew, Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things, they will be added to you. God will give you what you need. Your job is not to take care of you. You have a God who's better at it than you are anyway. Your job is to seek him and his kingdom. In other words, let me put it in these terms. My life is not about me. It's all about him. And if we don't get that principle right, we're going to miss it. It's the principle of submission to God. I can only find my my fulfillment in life when I submit to God. James 4, 7, it talks about submit therefore to God, uh, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Say, oh, I'm I'm under attack. I'm, I'm I'm in spiritual warfare. The devil is trying to make me trip. Listen, there's a battle going on. You don't have to figure out how do I defeat the devil. It says the devil will get up and run away from you if you do what? Submit to God, right? Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Or there's this other great passage in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. It says, um, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. 
He will guide you to where you need to go. He will get you there. But don't lean upon yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Make it all about him and not about you. There's another very well-known passage in Romans chapter 12. And instead of quoting it to you, I'm going to read it to you because I want you guys to turn to it and see it yourselves. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And, and let me just tell you as you're turning there, that for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul, I'm in Acts chapter 12, by the way, I guess I should make it Romans. Um, Paul, in the, very, in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, he lays out this unbelievably beautiful, concise, and clear theological treatise. And he basically says, listen, God is God. Man is man, man has failed God and fallen, therefore man is under a curse, but God is gracious who makes a way through Jesus Christ for us to come back to God and have new life. And if we will follow God and submit to him, we can have that new life. And he lays that out over 11 chapters. And then the, in chapter 12, verse 1, he begins with the word, therefore. After all that I've said for 11 chapters, and let me, just, let me just cap it off for you. Let's read beginning in chapter 11, verse 33. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, because all of that is true, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Pastor Ricky talked to us about this a couple weeks ago. He talked about this idea of an altar where a sacrifice is laid down. And he, and he said that there's a there's a difference between a dead sacrifice and a living sacrifice. If I take an animal and kill it, and I, and I butcher it, and I put the meat on the altar, who is it that's making the sacrifice? I am. That's my animal, right? And it's a dead sacrifice. But if I actually walk up to the altar and lay down on the altar and stay there and say, God, I'm alive and well. I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to do whatever you want, but my life will be defined by this altar. I'm on the altar. I belong to you. I am a living sacrifice. And I've said this a million times. The problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And all of us know what that's like. Because I'm guessing that many of us have been in a church service or in a time of prayer or confronted by somebody about something in our lives and the Lord speaks to our heart and we go, God, I, I just give it to you. I get, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to give up on this sin or this fear or whatever. Lord, I give it to you. And we find that just a day or two later, we're caught back up in the very same thing. We just keep crawling off the altar. But what does he say? You're a living sacrifice. Why? Because of all that God has done to you. You know what he's saying? Listen, guys, I know it's terrifying to be a living sacrifice, but don't forget who God is. Don't forget how good he is. 
Don't forget how wise he is. Don't forget how much he loves you and what he has in store for you. See, the problem comes when we rebel against that perfect God. Listen, everybody, and I mean everybody, knows there's something wrong. When you look at the world, and we see all the chaos and all the bloodshed and all the war and all the terrorism and all the divorce and all the murder and all the molestation and all the garbage that is going on, everybody agrees there's something terribly wrong, right? And, and you listen to politicians debate, there's never a problem getting that much out. They all agree that there's something terribly wrong. Now, they don't always agree on exactly what it is, and they certainly never agree on how to fix it, right? But, but somehow everybody, regardless of their religion, regardless of their temperament, regardless of their background, regardless of their language or where they live, everybody can look and go, oh man, there's something wrong. There's something terribly wrong. And we talked about that last week. It's what theologians call the fall of man, when man rebels against God. So let me summarize, because God is this great creator. He creates man in a perfect environment, gives him a free will because he's made in his image, and man turns against him and rebels. And from that point on, there has been something terribly wrong. Last week, we looked at all of that in Genesis, which is a foundational passage that we're going to come back to when we get into the details of this series. Today, we're going to look at another passage that will be foundational. It's also in the book of Romans. So just turn a couple of pages backwards to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin to unpack this passage in Romans chapter 1. And you guys, uh, I am, I'm not kidding at all when I say that the passage I'm about to read to you uh, to me looks like about an eight-week sermon series, okay? And I'm going to do this in the next few minutes, okay? But it's absolutely foundational, and we're going to be coming back to it, okay? But for now, let's read it. <clears throat> Verse 18, Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is, un- is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Let's just stop there, by the way. It says all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. So let's get off our high horses and let's stop thinking it's about the other guy's sin and let's remember that all unrighteousness and all ungodliness brings up the wrath of God, right? Okay, verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. So who's without excuse? Anyone who rebels against this good and holy and wonderful God who has made himself so evident to us in at least two different ways. One is he's made himself evident within us. You're born with an understanding that you need a relationship with God. It's, it's an emptiness in your heart that every human being has, and it never feels right until it gets filled with Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? That's absolutely true, okay? And what he's saying is you're born with a knowledge that God exists. And then he goes on and he says, and by the way, there's a second way. Look at creation, How can you look at creation and say there's no creator? God makes himself known. The scripture says the uh, heavens declare the glory of God, right? So 
So, and that's fascinating because it doesn't matter how far you go. If you go outward and you go, look at the placement of the planets, the placement of the stars, the placement of the sun. Do you know that if the earth was just another few miles closer to the sun, we would all burn up? And if it was just a few miles further away, we'd all freeze to death. If it was spinning at just a slightly different speed on its axis, we would all either freeze to death or burn to death because of the, the way the weather patterns would be. That, that the earth is exactly where it needs to be in exactly the way it needs to be. And that every Every one of the stars, of the hundred billion stars in our galaxy, every one is in exactly the right spot so the galaxy can be held up, right? And there's a hundred billion galaxies, we believe. Oh my. And the scripture says he knows every star by name. He counts every hair on your head, which is easier with some of us than others. <laughs> and if you go downward, guess what? The, the more you use the microscope and the more we get to see with high-powered microscopes, the more astonished we are. The signature of God is all over every cell in your body. Your, your DNA code is written with an alphabet that is so complex, nobody's been able to figure it out yet. And yet it is clearly an alphabet. It is clearly a language. And it, it clearly is what causes you to be different from the person sitting next to you. And every single living organism is coded with this. That God literally wrote a code for every single person, plant, and animal. That everything that is living and exists has a different DNA structure so that each one of us can be unique. And out of all of that, we're the only ones created in the image of God. You guys, if you step back with any objectivity at all and look at the universe, don't tell me there's no creator. And God says, so I put it within you and I made it obvious without and yet still you turn against me. And that's why my wrath is being poured out, right? And then he goes on, um, verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. In other words, they began to guess at things. Since we don't want there to be a God, let's try to explain things in other ways, right? Foolish speculations. Um, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, they began to worship that which God created rather than worshiping God the creator. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over, there's that phrase again, to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function of that, for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And, they, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, verse 28, God gave them over. What did he give them over to this time? To a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. 
Whew. What a list that is, by the way. Right there along with let murder is gossip. You know? Right there along with uh, deceit is arrogance. Right there along with evil is disobedient to parents. So you may have been doing fine on this list. You may have been going through, oh, never done that, never done, uh-oh, uh-oh. Like there's none of us that don't get on this list, amen? Okay, if you don't say amen there, you just got on the list. Okay? This is an amazing list. In other words, all of us at one time or another, in one way or another, reject the authority of God and do things our own way. That's what it's saying, right? Why do they do that? Verse 28 tells us, and I'm going to just tell you, for the longest time, I struggled with this. For the longest time, the more I studied creation for evidence of God, the more astonished I was at how obvious it is that there is a creator, and the more baffled I was at the fact that the people with the highest IQs in our culture seem to think there wasn't a creator. And I didn't understand how a Stephen Hawking, who has an IQ of 7 billion, could could say, hey, the universe created itself. What? How do these brilliant people not see it the way I see it? And it, it frankly made me pretty nervous. I have to be missing something. These guys are smarter than I am. I have to be missing something. What is it? Until I really studied Romans 1, and I saw there in verse 28 where it says, God gave them over to a depraved mind. The word depraved in the Greek means tested and found faulty for its intended purpose. What's the purpose of your mind? To know God. And so, and so now I understand how you could be incredibly brilliant to be able to just you know, do amazing math equations and all that stuff and still not see God in the math. How you could be an astronomer and still not see God in the, in the firmament. How you could be a molecular biologist and not see God in DNA. It's because people have been given over, given over to a depraved mind. Now, how could that happen? Why would God allow that? Because remember in Genesis, he created us in his own image, which meant we had to have a free will. And if we choose to use our free will to rebel against God, then he eventually gives us over to that choice. The result is a depraved mind. And then, by the way, don't miss verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is why we have parades that, that uh, celebrate sin. That is why we have organizations that are completely designed to give people more rights to act sinfully. That's why there are so many people who cheer when we see um, you know, terrible things in uh, movies and uh, you know, entertainment. That's why we buy the albums even though the people in the albums are singing about things that absolutely detest God and disrespect people and lead us further from God. We love all this kinds of stuff. We give hearty approval to those who believe this stuff. That, that's, he's talking about mankind. That's how we all are. So summary, great creator, man made in his image, man given dominion over all of creation, responsibility for it, 
We have this terrible rebellion that ends in a curse. So now we all live and the entire earth lives under this curse. It's, it's just a terrible story. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. It gets worse and worse and worse. It's just a terrible story. It's just bad news. So let's quit it with the bad news and let's get some good news out there. Listen, Jesus came to reverse the curse. That's the good news. He came to reverse the curse. The scripture says the first Adam messed up everything. Jesus is the second Adam and he reversed the curse. That those of us who are in Christ, that we get the blessing of being children of God. It is no longer our nature to sin. Our minds are no longer depraved and unable to see him. We're able to walk with him, to glorify him, to experience the fullness of joy because of who he is. Jesus came to reverse the curse and he did it. That's good news. He came to give us life abundantly. Listen, God didn't tell Adam and Eve not to eat the forbidden fruit. Can you imagine what the garden must have been like? Can you imagine the options for food? Every tree and plant completely undisturbed by rot or anything because there's no death. Just every plant, every vegetable, every fruit, all of that given to them. I don't know, you know, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm reading into this, but when I picture the Garden of Eden, I think there was a Reese's peanut butter cup tree. I think there was a pizza bush. Like everything you could want. And what do they want? What do they want? The one thing they can't have. Now, if you can't relate to that, you're just not being honest. God didn't tell them not to eat the forbidden fruit because he was trying to hold them back. He told them not to eat the forbidden fruit because he knew what they didn't know and he wanted them to flourish. When God gives us directives, he's never trying to limit our success. He's never trying to keep us from fulfillment. He is always trying to maximize our success and fulfillment. But he knows what success is, and he knows what brings fulfillment. Remember my one-way street story? I was mad about the traffic laws. Guys, traffic laws are designed to keep us alive, right? If, don't you hate those red lights that you have to face every time? They're just too long. There's this red light on Arrow Highway when I'm driving in. It feels like it takes me four times to get through that one red light in the morning. It seems like it's green for the other side forever, red for my side. I just want that red light taken out. Or not. <laughs> right? Traffic laws are not meant to take away our freedom. They're meant to provide a way for us to succeed. They're, they're there to protect us. And this is a huge mistake when we step out from God's loving protection and authority and we decide, I'm going to be my own God just for an hour here. I'm going to be my own God just in this area of my life. And I'm going to disagree with God because he doesn't really know what's best for me. And I'm going to do things my way. So much of the confusion about morality and ethics today, it stems from the fact that we have started in the wrong place with the discussion. We start with the creature instead of the creator, we always end up in the wrong place. If we start with how I feel, what I want, what I think, 
Instead of who God is and why he can be trusted and what he has said, we're always going to end up in the wrong place. We have, we have to submit our feelings and our thoughts and our preferences and our ideas to the authority of a God who loves us. And until we do that, there's no point in talking about rules for how to handle your money, rules for what to do in your political life or whatever. The correct starting place is not my opinion or yours. It should not be that I start with my guard up trying to make sure God doesn't get in my pocket or take anything from me that I want. God's not trying to take anything from me. The correct starting place is the fact that the God of the universe exists. He is who he is, which means he is good, he is holy, he is all-wise, he is all-powerful, and he, it's not just that he loves. He is love. All love emanates from him. It's not just that he speaks the truth. He is the truth. It's not just that he is good uh, or that he does good things. It's that he is good. All of that comes from God. And that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And I said that last week and I put it up. By the way, thank you to those of you who are using the little place to write questions. Uh, GraceDuarte.com slash ask. You can ask any question anonymously online, and I can't respond to you directly, but it will influence what goes into the uh, sermon, perhaps. This one did. Somebody said, well, you, you said God, God uh, you know, loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and, and I get that, but you know what? What do I say to a person who's suffering? What about a person who is in pain and their pain never goes away? What about the person who is dealing with an abusive family or, or the person who, you know, has been abused themselves by somebody? Are we really supposed to look that person in the eye and go, well, this must be God's wonderful plan for your life? It's a very fair question. If God has this wonderful plan for our lives, why are we suffering like this? Well, number one, we live in a broken, fallen world. Okay, so let's be careful where we place the blame here. Okay? We live in a broken, fallen world, and every bit of it is under the influence of the fall and under that curse. That's why there is death. That's why there is shame. That's why there is sin. That's why there is brokenness. That's why there is abuse and all of that kind of stuff. God gives a free will to us, and we live in a broken world, and all of us have been guilty of using our free will in the wrong ways, and a lot of the suffering and pain comes from that. Some of it can't even be explained. Why, why is someone born with that illness? Why is somebody you know, born into a home where there's not enough food or anything like that? I don't want to trivialize that at all. But what I do want to say is don't forget who God is. Because if we don't start at the right place, we'll never get a right answer to that question. And, and here's the other thing I want to say, and this will make you uncomfortable, and somebody might get hurt, and somebody might get mad. So let me tell you from the bottom of my heart, I care about your suffering. I'm not pretending it's no big deal. At the same time, I want to remind you what the scripture says, that sometimes suffering is a gift that God gives to us because that's what he's using to shape us in to the future that he has in mind for us. We have to remember. We have to remember. So this, this God who, who, who sometimes allows suffering that he could stop and who sometimes actually gives suffering that he doesn't have to give, don't forget who he is. He's good, he's holy, he's all-knowing, 
And he loves you with a love beyond anything you could imagine. And so just because you don't understand doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. The third thing I'll say about this is, is very quickly, life is short and eternity is forever. Let's not forget the eternal perspective that we need to hold on to. I know that that doesn't help when, you, when you've been lying in a hospital bed in your living room for the last six months and the pain doesn't get any better. I understand. I know that when you've had a migraine headache that's been lasting for weeks and you just really would rather be dead than continue to be like this and nothing seems to help. I know that that feels trite when I tell you that, but guys, it will be over soon and God is forever. Heaven is forever and he's got this. So sometimes this wonderful plan he has, it includes pain, but eternity is forever. He has a calling on our lives. He designed us for marvelous purposes. And you will only truly know fulfillment when you live according to that design and that purpose. We're his creation. And at some point, we have to trust him that he's better at this than we are. He should run the show and we should not, right? What if, what if, now I've read the Bible many times, cover to cover. I've read every word in it. Lord, help me. I think I've read every word in it. Um, in multiple languages. And, and I, I haven't found this in the Bible, okay? So what I'm about to tell you is not biblical, okay? But what if it was? What if right in the pages of Scripture, right there in Romans chapter 3, there was an extra verse at the end, and that verse said, all blue-eyed people have to stand on their heads at all times. I'd be mad, that seems very uncomfortable to me. It certainly doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm just saying, what if it was in the Bible and it was clear as day? That's what it said. It couldn't be misinterpreted. Blue-eyed people must all stand on their heads at all times. Or, or what if, let's get more serious, what if it said, blue-eyed people are not allowed to marry? My whole life would be different. Like, to, to think I wouldn't have my family... To think I wouldn't have my wife, like I can't even fathom that. But all I'm saying is this, if God is God, do I trust him enough when I don't understand and it costs me something? I don't know about everybody, but I'm guessing that for most of us, if you come every week between now and Easter in one or more of these sermons... There's going to be a point where God pokes you in the eye with a stick. There's going to be some point where God says, all right, this is the one for you. I know that last week you were sitting there going, man, I hope so-and-so down the aisle is listening to this, right? But this one's for you, and God is just going to walk right up and stick a stick in your eye, and it's going to hurt, and you're going to know for sure God's telling me to do something different financially and it scares me to death. God's telling me to take a different view politically or, or have a different approach to my sexuality and it scares me to death. And I don't know why he would do that. What I feel is that I should do this, but God's word says that I should do that. What am I going to do? Guys, I must begin with the fact that God is God. And if God is God, then I am subject to him period. And 
I am so thankful that he's holy, that he's wise, that he's loving, that, that all of those things that we've talked about, that he is so incredibly good. I am so thankful for that. that. That's what makes it safe to submit to him. But either way, he is God and I am creation. It's not whether I choose to be under his authority. I am under his authority. Listen, you may not be bowing the knee now, but every knee will bow. You may not be confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, but every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is in authority. Thank God you're so good. Isn't it great that he's so good? Now, as Christians, one of the things we need to do is help people see that he is good. Instead of just throwing these rules at them, God said, do this, God said, do that. How about introducing them to God and letting them see how good God is before we ask them to trust him with something that we're having trouble trusting him with, amen? amen. But, but the lie that Satan tells is always the same. It's the same lie he told to Adam and Eve. And the lie basically boils down to this. You can be your own God. You don't have to be under his thumb. God's trying to hold you down. God wants to limit you. That's just four different ways to say the same thing. You should be your own God. The truth is that God made you along with everything and everyone else that exists and he loves you and he knows what's best and he designed you for a purpose and he's the determiner of right and wrong and he is your authority and that will never change. That's what brings us to this issue of worship because if all of that is true, then the real question is, who will you worship? Are you going to bow at the idol of self or are you going to bow to the living God, the one who is good, the one who is able? Who will you worship? Will you worship yourself or will you worship God? That was the only question really in the garden. Who gets to be God in my life? And they chose to be their own God. Will I worship creation or will I worship the creator? It's a choice we face every day. How do we figure out the complex puzzles of handling money, sex, politics in 21st century America? We do it by going back to the beginning and remembering that God is our creator and designer and we are his creation. By remembering that God is our owner and we are his stewards. By remembering that everything in creation, including you and me, was created to bring him glory. We all exist to bring him glory. And when we have all of that straight, it's pretty easy to figure out how to vote on Measure M next year. It's a lot easier to figure out what do we do in this world where sexual politics and sexual identity is changing and fluid and everybody says this is right when just a year ago everybody said that was wrong. What do we do with all of that? What, what are we supposed to do in, 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 uh, when we look at our paycheck and we go, I just don't know if there's enough for all the things that I've decided to spend my money on. How am I going to use my money? Guys, you're smart people. You can make those decisions. Just make them with the right principles in place. So we're going to start tearing the cover off of those topics and digging into what's really going on. And I'm hoping that God from his word is going to give us some insight that will change our lives forever. Because when we have all that straight, it'll be easy to figure out what to do with money, sex, and politics. Next week, we start with money. Don't miss it. And it's okay to bring your wallet with you. I'm not going to ask for anything, okay? 
But, but don't miss it. But I will warn you, sometime in these next few weeks, God's going to mess with you. Because you have to submit to him in order to experience the joy that he created you to experience, the abundant life. So why don't we just get that straight now? He gets to be God. We're his creation. Let's let him show himself strong as we trust him. Let's stand together and pray.